coming up on this episode of Here's an Idea. I tell people all the time, sleep is a lot like love. The less you look for it, the more it shows up. I said, I'll, I'll bet I can make something that I could try tonight. And uh, and I did. I grabbed some craft foam from my kids' uh, art boxes and uh, threw together a little mask made out of craft foam and, uh, and had a, a, a one-way valve on it and put it on my face and slept with it. In early 2019, I went to the Consumer Electronics Show. CES is the biggest consumer technology conference in the country. Over 190,000 people packed into Las Vegas looking to see the latest, coolest, and cutting-edge gadgets. Plenty of vendors pulled out all the stops trying to get your attention. But you get to a point where you can't be surprised anymore. Or at least you get so used to the surprises that you end up not feeling much of anything. And you end up calmly watching a robot beat a man in ping pong. So when a crowd started forming at the entryway on day three... I had some guesses about what was causing the traffic jam. A flying car? A toothbrush designed to clean all your teeth at once? A robot butler? No. What was causing the crowd was just a guy resting on a bed. A few feet from the entrance, we all watched a multi-sensor device tracking the man on a mattress. His respiratory rate displayed, somewhat hypnotically, on a nearby screen. The grown man, it turns out, was testing a device more designed for a sleeping baby. He was demoing the Miku Baby Monitor which uses a camera, radar, and acoustic sensor to wirelessly monitor breathing patterns. This was just one booth, of course. I realized I was on an entire floor labeled Sleep Tech. Did I miss something? Was this really an actual industry, I thought? Sleep Tech? There were aisles upon aisles of this stuff. There was the Dreambox Recovery Cocoon, a kind of fort designed for power napping. There was Hypnos, manufacturers of a sleep mask that could train you to stop snoring. Well, I'll tell you a couple of things that have been creeping up that are interesting. There appears to be sort of a trend for rocking. So uh, people are now appear to be making bed frames that rock, like, like you would rock a child to sleep or like you would sleep in a hammock. This is Dr. Michael Bruce. Dr. Bruce is a clinical psychologist, also known as the sleep doctor, with a special expertise in sleep disorders. He was the WebMD sleep expert for 15 years. And he was at CES, too. I have several clients that... Um, had booths there. And so I helped do PR there. And then there's actually a fair bit of sleep technology. There's actually an entire sleep tech section um, that was over in the sands. And so I spent a good bit of time there looking at the different technologies out there and trying to understand them and evaluate them. So which of the sleep tech products are the most helpful? Are they just hype or can they really make a difference for those suffering from sleep conditions? In this episode, we look closely at some of the new ideas in sleep tech. We'll speak with engineers and researchers who've spent years working on their own sleep tech inventions. We'll talk about their design process and how challenging it is to tailor one product for a whole world of people who are having trouble getting to bed. And we asked two noted sleep specialists, including Dr. Bruce, the question, when it comes to a better night's sleep, what role should technology play, if any at all? So here's an idea. Sleep. We've had a long history trying to get to sleep, and even when we do sleep, trying to sleep better. The earliest medications that were ever created, you think back to the antiquity or prehistoric times, probably the first medicines ever invented were either sleeping potions or love potions, and many times they were the same substance. 
This is Dr. Rafael Palayo, a sleep specialist at the Stanford Center for Sleep Sciences and Medicine. We did a little research and found out that to help with sleep, ancient Romans rubbed mouse fat on the bottoms of their feet. In the Dark Ages, people drank a potion made from the gallbladder of castrated boars. And this is to say nothing of the long, complicated history of sleeping pills. The first major technological innovation for sleeping may have started with NASA's development of memory foam for airplane seats in 1966. Also known as temper foam, the invention is one of NASA's most famous spin-off technologies and eventually resulted in the Tempur-Pedic mattress. But actual treatments remained a little archaic at this time. Back in 1970, the only useful treatment for uh, sleep apnea that was predictably effective was to put a hole in your neck, a tracheostomy, and bypass obstruction in the throat. So people for 10 years were routinely coming to the state-of-the-art sleep clinic in the world to be told to get a hole in their neck. Constant attempts to improve technology also involved less invasive ideas. Dr. Palayo mentioned a wristwatch from the 1990s, a device ahead of its time considering all the smartwatches we have today. It had a sensor that would detect snoring. And if you snored, it would vibrate. And the research actually did show that people who wore this device snored less. But the research also showed that people who wore this device slept less because you were sleep was interrupted by this vibrating watch. That's how it stopped you from snoring is by interrupting your sleep. Sleep is a good thing, of course. Sometimes it's the best thing. Science has confirmed that sleep improves our mood, makes us more alert, and helps us charge up for the next day. But sleep is actually pretty dangerous when you think about it, or at least it used to be. Whenever you're sleeping, you're vulnerable to being attacked. Humans or people or any organism is most vulnerable to being attacked while it's sleeping. This is Dr. Palayo again. One of the earliest sleep scientists said if sleep has no function, it's the biggest mistake evolution ever had. Long ago, falling asleep meant you could be bitten by a snake or attacked by a bear. You had to be ready to get up at any time, to wake up. Even though it's no longer overtly dangerous to sleep, we still have trouble fighting those evolutionary instructions. We're still wired to be alert, to respond to external stimuli or unexpected threats while we're trying to sleep. So sometimes it's not easy to get the sleep that we need. One way to at least try to get our brains to turn off is to control the elements, the light and the sound. There are a lot of products out there to help you deal with the environment. You could buy a white noise machine to block out the music from upstairs or the garbage truck on your street. You can put on a face mask or buy blackout curtains as you sleep in and the sun comes up. But to entrepreneur Todd Youngblood, one element beyond light and sound has been somewhat ignored. Temperature. Aside from the extra blanket, no one's done too much in that area. And Todd knows a thing or two about sleep. His uncle invented the waterbed. If anyone, any of your listeners, or you yourself, have ever slept in a waterbed when the heater turned off, uh, you couldn't sleep. It would just suck the heat right out of you. It was, it was a horrendous experience. Remember the waterbed? That was a wild idea at the time. In fact, an early prototype was a chair, and it was filled with pudding, not water. In 1968, Todd's uncle, Charles Hall, was an industrial design student and wanted to rethink furniture design. He was taken with the idea of fluid-filled interiors, hence the try with jello. Although early versions of the waterbed existed as early as the 19th century and were used especially in the medical field, Charles created a rubber waterbed prototype for his master's thesis project. His modern version of the waterbed, patented in 1971 in San Francisco, became a popular consumer item in the 1980s. At the height of their popularity in 1987, 22% of all mattress sales in the U.S. were waterbed mattresses. Even so, it was never comfortable to be on the waterbed when the heat went off. In fact, it wasn't even a marketable product until we figured out a way to heat the water. 
because it would just it would just suck all the heat right out of you. More than 40 years since Charles developed that first prototype, Todd had an idea of his own, a temperature-controlled mattress pad called the Chili Pad. Todd is CEO and co-founder of a company called Cryo, based in North Carolina. To Todd, temperature is an important and underappreciated aspect of sleep quality. He thinks temperature is just as important as light. You know, you can, can make yourself immune to, to brightness, but light, sound, and temperature are kind of three equally important variables in sleep. Two are, of course, well-known of sleep in a quiet space and sleep in a dark space. And what's really underutilized is sleep in a temperature-neutral space, sleep in a, a, a smart temperature space. And that's what we're working on. Using thermoelectrics, the chili pad tries to solve the temperature challenges of his uncle's early waterbed. The mattress pad fits onto an existing mattress and has microtubes that carry hot and cold water. There are two components to the chili pad, the electronics designed to fit under the bed and the mattress pad. You connect it up to the control unit and you add about a liter and a half of water and that kind of gets the system ready to go. Uh, you can connect it to your phone. Uh, so either iOS or Android devices can control it. You can set up your schedule so it'll automatically turn on at a certain temperature. We'd recommend people get into um, a bed that's slightly warmer than air temperature. So if you keep your house in the winter, say it's 68 degrees, get into like a 76 degree warm bed and have it almost immediately cool down and get in the mid 60s, uh, mid to low 60s, depending on what people find comfortable. Um, and then have it warm you awake. So, I, you know, I don't have to use a traditional alarm clock anymore. I literally just have the bed warm awake, and then I wake up just feeling rested and awake uh, without, without the noise of an alarm clock uh, to wake me up. A separate product called Uller will be available soon. That product will have additional features, including scheduling capabilities, a UV lamp to treat the water, and integration with sleep apps. So when we're trying to sleep, our first steps are often to shut the door, and turn out the lights. For a good night's rest, though, how useful is it to add temperature management to the mix? We pose the question to Dr. Palio. The idea is of cooling somebody down and help them sleep better. And most people have had the experience that it's prefer to sleep in a cool environment and how difficult it is to sleep on a hot summer night. But cooling down is complex when we're asleep, says Dr. Palio. Once we dream, our temperature starts to change. Our body temperature is 98.6, but that's an average. It turns out we're coldest when we're sleepiest. We're warm-blooded animals. We can control our core body temperature. We maintain our core body temperature. But we don't do it when we're dreaming. When we're dreaming, we actually behave more like cold-blooded animals. So you may have this experience that you go to bed at night and you are kicking off covers because you're hot. But in the early morning hours when you dominate your dreaming, you may start pulling the covers and fighting the covers with, with your bed partner. The point is that we become cold-blooded when we're dreaming. So any, any device that helps you regulate your sleep has to take into account the, the way we handle body temperature fluctuations during the night. So let's say your white noise machine or the guided meditation on your phone or your temperature-controlled mattress works like a charm. Being asleep still presents another new set of potential problems. One of the most common sleep disorders, impacting 22 million Americans, in fact, is sleep apnea. Here's Dr. Palio again. Sleep apnea is a mechanical problem where simply the throat is closing off and not allowing you to breathe because our throats have conflicting functions between breathing, sleeping, and, and swallowing, so the throat closes off. One way to treat sleep apnea is CPAP. 
or continuous positive airway pressure. CPAP machines designed in the early 1980s use a hose and mask to deliver gentle, pressurized air through one's airway. You've probably seen one. The increased air pressure prevents the airway from collapsing when you breathe. To me, the CPAP machine always looked a bit frightening, like the thing Bane wears over his face in The Dark Knight Rises. But we're in a golden, less scary-looking era for CPAP, says Dr. Palio. They're smaller, and they don't look like they're strapped over your whole face. CPAP originally was a very kind of bulky, big machine, makes a lot of noise, pretty much was based on a vacuum cleaner. So you can imagine how sleeping next to a vacuum cleaner all night. And now in the modern times, CPAP is quiet, silent. CPAP's never been better. It's small, compact, it really works, and it makes many of my patients happy. People with sleep apnea, however, often have another side effect while sleeping, one we're all familiar with, snoring. About 40% of adult men and 24% of adult women are habitual snorers. One of those frequent snorers was Curtis Ray. About three years ago, my wife started complaining that I was snoring. And, uh, of course, like everybody, I, I didn't believe her in the beginning. So I, I recorded myself at night and found out, wow, I, I really do snore. Once Curtis learned he was a snorer, he started looking at products out there available to help him quiet down at night. Instead of CPAP, Curtis looked at EPAP, or expiratory positive airway pressure. A quick lesson on EPAP and snoring. Snoring occurs because airways are collapsed, and the sides of the airways vibrate against each other, making the snoring noise. There are EPAP products like the one called Theravent that is a kind of patch worn over the snorer's nostrils. Curtis tried Theravent. The tape contains microvalves that allow the individual to breathe in freely. When the snorer exhales, the valves close, generating extra air pressure. The act of exhaling traps the air, increasing the pressure, dilating your airways, and stopping the snoring. It's a bit like when your ears are blocked up or you feel like you have congestion. You squeeze your nose and blow, and it pops your ears a little bit and opens up your airway and your nasal passages. That's essentially what's going on with EPAP, says Curtis. Curtis wants to take the principles of EPAP and bring them to the sleep mask. In late 2016, he began early iterations of what would ultimately become the Hupnos sleep mask. The invention, as it exists today, looks like a regular eye mask, except it features an EPAP cushion just below the nose. That cushion controls exhalation pressure. Air flows freely when you inhale. Pressure builds when you exhale through a valve that opens and closes. Our first devices were simply based on a timer so that you, after 20 minutes, we'd assume that you were asleep and the airway would, or the, the exhalation pressure would start to increase. So um, we found that that wasn't good enough. What, what made more sense was to actually detect whether somebody is asleep and snoring. And that's when we developed the app to monitor your, um, your movements and to listen to your snoring. Detecting whether somebody is snoring might be easy if you're sleeping next to them. For technology to detect snoring, the solution is more sophisticated. Luckily, Curtis was familiar with accelerometers and analytical instruments. Before Hupnos, Curtis created accelerometers that were later used to find oil, sense pressure in tires, and even monitor the space shuttle. The Hupnos mask is more down-to-earth, slightly. In the mask, there's an accelerometer, a microprocessor, a Bluetooth connection, a valve, and a vibration motor. You put the mask on, and after 30 minutes, the microphone records snoring patterns, and the mask's accelerometers record movement. In the morning, results show percentage of time spent snoring. The accelerometers detect a person's position and movement. 
Between that accelerometer data and what the phone's microphone picks up, the technology can tell if you're asleep and snoring. If Hupnose recognizes snoring and detects that you're in a position where you're more likely to snore, say on your back and not on your side, the mask's vibrating motor can give you a cue to roll over. It's kind of a step up from that 90s wristwatch. It starts very low and then increases intensity. You end up rolling over before you fully wake, and so in the morning you don't remember ever being, uh, ever being vibrated, but it, it, does, uh, it does work for you. If the snoring continues, the valve closes a bit to increase the exhalation pressure to cause that kind of popping to clear your airways. The valve continues to close until the snoring stops. If the accelerometer detects that a person's moving, the valve is opened completely and the process repeats. And in the morning, you have a record of how you slept and snored. I can look at the entire night of what, the, what my position was and kind of get an idea of what the sleep quality was by how much I was tossing and turning. And uh, then you can, you can zoom in on that and find any particular area which you might, um, might see that there was excessive snoring. You can investigate why um, that might be, whether you were not turning over properly. You might have smoked a cigar or had a heavy meal. Uh, so you can start to track what other influences you have on your snoring. Making this device wasn't easy. It's hard enough to just sleep, let alone sleep with a prototype mask on your face. Curtis and his team had to find a design to comfortably accommodate people's unique size and facial features. Little things like what kind of materials you're using and how, how flexible it is, how soft it is, the, the idea of making a mask so that you can roll over on your side um, or even roll over on your face without it coming off and yet have it soft enough so that um, it doesn't feel like anything but an eye mask. Those challenges were immense. How immense exactly? Curtis developed 60 different iterations over the past two and a half years. Curtis and his team used 3D printers for the initial plastic work, and they were able to cast medical-grade silicone into 3D-printed molds for prototyping. Those iterations were far more sophisticated than his first try. The very first time that, uh, that I said, you know, I don't like any of these, I'm going to do something myself, and I was sitting with my wife, and I said, I'll, I'll bet I can make something that I could try tonight. And, uh, and I did. I grabbed some craft foam from my kids' uh, art boxes and uh, threw together a little mask made out of craft foam and, uh, and had a, a, a one-way valve on it and put it on my face and slept with it. Although the company is on a 12-month upgrade cycle now and has moved far beyond the craft foam from an art box, those early iterations of the sleep mask would be made and remade, often within days. Those early prototypes are important, says Curtis. They lead to greater and greater developments. Get things done in very small steps rather than um, working on the, the grand plan that, uh, that might take you six months before you get to test anything. Start small, test early. To validate device design, he found individuals who were easy to reach and comfortable to talk with. Once you've got your problem nailed, then find people that have that problem and are interested in, in solving the problem, and then make sure that they're happy with the solution and that it's effective for them. And if not, find out why and iterate until they're happy with the solution and, and that you've taken care of all of the, the issues that they've come up with. That sounds easy enough, right? But what might get you right to sleep might not work for someone else. Dr. Bruce told us that there's over 88 different sleep disorders, and there's even a variety of insomnias. There's not just one kind of insomnia. There's about 10. Um, and so I help them understand what kind of insomnia that they have and then develop specific protocols for that. 
for a sleep science professional like Dr. Palayo or Dr. Bruce to be able to diagnose one of the 88 separate sleep disorders, they need data. And technology is getting increasingly better at gathering that data, the characteristics that determine sleep quality, factors like breathing, pulse rate, blood oxygen saturation, and movement. But when it comes to sleep tech, tracking is the easy part, says Dr. Bruce. A lot of companies can do it. Last year, CES was filled with um, tracking. So it was everybody and their mother who could figure out a way to track your sleep had some new device. Many of the companies that track sleep are tracking companies. They're not sleep companies. Um, when you're a tracking company, it's fairly easy. Knowing what a person's stride is, knowing how many calories they eat, how many steps they take, that's really kind of a mathematical calculation. So if you wake up in the morning and I say, how did you sleep? You're not going to say, I slept 347 steps, right? We've been tracking sleep for decades with different gadgets and activity monitors that you can wear on your wrist. And when the smartphone came out, all of a sudden you had an accelerometer built into a little handheld computer at your bedside that you could use to monitor your sleep. Since then, the tracking has gotten better and better. A company called Dream wants to bring more in-depth sleep analysis to the bedside, the kind you'd find at a sleep clinic. Dream, spelled D-R-E-E-M, wants to use its wearable headset to study one factor that your phone can't detect, at least for now, brain activity. Mike Ballard, a clinical sleep scientist at Dream, sees the limitations of today's tracking technologies, and that sleep tech products need to take the next step beyond just giving you the raw data or a sleep score of, say, 347. A major limitation of the sleep trackers on the market is, is that they rely on other types of data that, that may not be a focus of a clinical sleep study. And therefore, it's, they're providing much more of an approximation. And so, so we saw an opportunity to, to actually design something that can, can collect much more meaningful data, um, particularly brain activity. When you go to a sleep clinic for a doctor-recommended sleep study, the doctor wants to know when you're in a light sleep stage, a rapid eye movement stage, or a deep sleep stage. These stages are all determined based on actual electrical activity in your brain, the frequencies and the wavelengths. The dream band, worn over the head, monitors five different channels of EEG, or brain activity. We're collecting multiple channels of, of data, of physiological data, um, to make it much more close of an approximation to what the gold standard um, clinical sleep study um, would provide at, at, a, at a fraction of the cost um, while also being done, importantly, in a, in a natural environment, in your home. The Dream Band serves as a sleep monitor, collecting a variety of data along with brain activity. Breathing rate, pulse rate, blood oxygen saturation, and movement, for example. The headband integrates all that data and presents it to the user in the app, which is called the Dream Coach. The Dream Band automatically identifies sleep stages in real time, using AI algorithms and physiological signals. Essentially, the, the first week of using the headband is really just a monitoring phase. The idea being that we want to try and figure out how you sleep and why. Uh, so we just listen to your sleep. You wear the headband for the first week. Um, we'll ask you some, some questions about your lifestyle, your habits, your sleep hygiene through the mobile application. So we can sort of develop a profile of the type of sleeper you are, what your problems might be, and therefore how we can help. Based on the data gathered and the type of sleeper or not sleeper you're determined to be, DreamCoach attempts to give its users individualized programs, tailored to the person's particular needs. After all, there are 88 different sleep disorders. So what exactly does a DreamCoach program look like? The coach can set a sleep schedule based on your sleep efficiency. 
what time you might need to wake up in the morning. It can offer tips on your lifestyle factors, some of the triggers that might be causing bad sleep. The coach can offer guided meditations to help you fall asleep at the desired times it recommends. It even encourages you, according to Mike, as much as technology can, offering positive feedback when you meet goals. Some people may um, particularly have problems with sort of anxiety about falling asleep. And so they may lay in bed um, at night uh, not sleeping. And so this can have a have a very problematic outcome of sort of reconditioning your association between bed and now it's no longer sleep, but it's other things because you're doing other things in bed. You're laying awake in bed. And so so in that case, we want to figure out, you know, is is this one of the problems for an individual? And, and then help, how can we help guide this guide the individual to sort of break this problematic association and, and, and recondition themselves um, to to associate sleep and actually uh, or bed and actually being asleep? If your sleep is very fragmented, you have a low sleep efficiency, um, you actually want to reduce the amount of time in bed. So you want to stay up a bit later to increase the pressure to fall asleep. The analysis at a sleep clinic is thorough, but an overnight study still means you'll have electrodes placed on your face or monitors strapped to your hands to measure oxygen saturation. Mike sees Dream Coach as an opportunity to get more accurate data about your sleep quality in the comfort of your own home. When you go to a sleep center, as I said, you get one, one night of data, and it's really not really very representative of what your normal you know, sleep may be like at home. So to have something like this that tracks your sleep over multiple nights um, with really high quality data, uh, I think is a, is a real benefit, um, particularly for personalizing results and, uh, and, and advice for, um, for future improvements. This kind of personalized feedback is frequently met with skepticism among doctors in the field and sleep experts like Dr. Bruce. New companies are entering the sleep tech field all the time. With such a swift arrival, you have to wonder, have their technologies been validated? Have the sleep trackers been cleared by the FDA? If people are out there looking at tech um, and wanting to improve their sleep, they need to make sure that the, that the recommendations that are given based on the data collected are actually recommendations that have been created or approved by a board-certified sleep specialist. Um, you know, there is an entire board certification process that goes on. Um, there are thousands of us out there that do this. Um, and um, virtually none of these technologies have got anybody who's bothering to create these, these um, pieces of advice um, based on real sleep science. So you have to be careful um, with the advice that you get, because depending upon where you get it, if it's not qualified advice, it could actually turn out to be dangerous. Mike and his dream team routinely compare their results to a panel of experts, an effort to convince patients and doctors alike to come around and to prove that the technology is useful in clinical practice. Mike says that their results, specifically the identification of sleep stages, is as accurate as those of sleep experts conducting sleep studies. While Dream is still not FDA approved, the company has participated in clinical trials with the Stanford Sleep Medicine Center, where Dr. Palio is a sleep specialist. The center's director is also chairman of Dream's advisory board. So these types of things, I think, can can start to to provide some more legitimacy to these uh, to these new products. Um, and then once you have much more scientific, you know, uh, rigorous validation, um, as well as a stamp of approval from the FDA to say yes, you know, we're we're convinced by your quality, by your manufacturing process, by um, the rigorous studies that you've done, then doctors will, you know, start to come around, I think, um, you know, to, to use it more in clinical practice and to even recommend it, you know, to their, to their patients. And doctors are having to come around to the idea of bringing monitoring apps into clinical practice. 
Something as simple as a Fitbit or a cell phone app just uses sonar to pick up your movement and breathing. Like it or not, doctors are being challenged to make sense of that data. The problem with the sleep tracking products on the market is that there are too many to track, says Dr. Palau. So patients commonly will come in showing me their app, but there's so many different apps and so many different gadgets. I'm not really sure what I'm looking at as a one-time event. I think the value of the wearable is over time within that individual. So if the device X or Y you're using says you have a certain degree of sleep, if those numbers change over time, then you want to know why they're changing over time, either good or bad. But right now, um, if somebody shows me that they get an 88 on, on a certain app, I don't know what that 88 means because it could be different on some other app. Dr. Palaio does like the idea of wearables because it forces someone to pay attention to their sleep habits. Just like keeping track of your calories can make you aware of your nutrition, keeping track of your steps makes you think of your exercise activity. Simply tracking your sleep makes you aware of it. On the other hand, if somebody is sleeping well, has no sleep problems, they're probably going to waste their time tracking their sleep because they don't have a sleep complaint. So with 88 different sleep disorders, there's obviously not one magic bullet technology that will help everyone with their own unique nighttime issues. How could there be? I might have one of the 10 versions of insomnia. You may have restless leg syndrome. Your partner may snore. And unfortunately, a lot of the technology that we rely on today get in the way of good night's sleep. Many of us have a hard time turning off or ignoring the notifications from our devices. Cell phones and laptops emit a particularly disruptive blue light. So tech can help, but it's also important not to tech yourself too much, says Dr. Bruce. You don't have to have a device that makes you sleep. You don't have to have something that tracks it to make you sleep. In fact, there's, um, there's some data to suggest that some people will buy a tracker and become so obsessed with it, it'll actually disrupt their sleep. Um, sleep I tell people all the time, sleep is a lot like love. The less you look for it, the more it shows up. So it's really about understanding where your anxiety level is before bed helping yourself relax and get there. You can use a variety of technologies, wearables, the masks, but the work to get a good night's sleep also needs to be done within. You may need to change aspects of your lifestyle, have a consistent sleep schedule, for example. You may need to change the way you think, because people with sleep problems think a certain way, says Dr. Palaio. People with sleep problems tend to think that tomorrow depends on how well they sleep tonight. If you go to bed thinking tomorrow depends on how well I sleep tonight, then you're going to go to bed monitoring your sleep to predict tomorrow. And the act of monitoring your sleep is going to make you sleep lighter and make your sleep less refreshing to you. And you get caught in a vicious cycle. But Dr. Palaio isn't ready to say necessarily that less technology is better when it comes to sleep. I think technology is cool. I look forward to what's going to be coming out next. What we don't want is garbage science. We don't want junk being, being sold to people. People who can't sleep are desperate for their sleep. They'll do anything to help themselves sleep better. So they can't be exploited. They'll, they'll buy whatever you tell them. And the thing about sleep products in general is there is a strong placebo component to everything in sleep. So just because something seems to work for an individual does not mean it's really working. So what we really want is good technology, technology that's not just anecdotal or just a, a case series, but that a randomized placebo controlled trial is done. That's what you really want. 
From this boom of new sleep products, it remains to be seen which ones are good technologies. Maybe all that matters is that you think the product is working. Time will tell which ones will be the most effective for the most people. We'll be able to decide which technologies work and which ones don't. But for now, we can sleep on it. This has been an episode of Here's an Idea. This episode was written and produced by me, Billy Hurley, Kendra Smith, and Peter Bonavita. For more information about the technologies featured in today's podcast, you can visit our episode page at techbriefs.com podcasts. Our podcast page also gives you an opportunity to subscribe to our Here's an Idea newsletter, which provides photos, facts, and follow-ups on the technologies and technology creators featured in each episode. And we want to hear from you. Give us a review on Apple Podcasts and send us feedback to podcasts at techbriefs.com.